everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. everyone and welcome back to this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. As usual, Sharissa and I are so thankful for your presence here. We're thankful for everyone who consistently listens week after week. We are so thankful for any of the suggestions that you guys give us for new podcast uh, episodes. Um, We love hearing from you guys. We are really, really thankful for the reviews that you've been leaving. Uh, If this podcast has positively impacted your practice or your way of doing hygiene or just your uh, mindset or your attitude or any small thing, we would so, so appreciate it if you would leave us a review um, wherever you consume podcasts. It means a lot to us and it also helps our podcast to be um, promoted and kind of visual, more visual Um, more visible to people who might not know that this podcast exists. So we would appreciate any reviews and any feedback that you guys have for us. Also, please remember, you can always join us on our Mighty Network to to give us podcast suggestions and topic suggestions. We really do want to hear from you guys. So today, Sharissa and I are really excited to be covering the topic of perio versus occlusal disease. And while I really dislike this title because it's not really verse. Uh, it's not really one or the other. It's kind of like both uh, one and a little of the other one. You know, they impact each other in, in really significant and interesting ways. Um, we're going to talk about how correlated the two are and how these two things are not mutually exclusive and why this is an important thing to consider before treatment planning our patients um, with their whole health in mind. So occlusal disease and periodontal disease are individually and collectively loaded topics. So that being said, we're not trying to solve all the mysteries of both complex multifactorial diseases in this podcast, just as a disclaimer. Uh, The purpose of today is really to shine light on the fact that there is this undercurrent uh, in the way that we sometimes choose to address perio and occlusal disease that seems to suggest that somewhere deep down, we consider these disease processes to be mutually exclusive, and that is to say it's one or the other instead of both. So I've heard a lot of dentists and hygienists talk about occlusion and perio disease as though they cannot coexist in the same patient. And as a result, I've watched many people mistakenly treat one or the other instead of both disease processes. So let me give an example. Uh, A patient presents with generalized moderate crowding, fractions, recessions of one to three millimeters, and probing depths of localized four to six millimeters with mild bleeding on probing. Their provider assesses them, sees that there is no radiographic calculus, and quickly infers that the patient's attachment loss is due to their occlusal disease. But there are a few gaping holes in this line of thinking. So three dental hygienists, Marsh, Forster, and Fody, recently published a review of the literature uh, article on Dimensions of Dental Hygiene, and it's called Occlusal Trauma and Periodontal Disease. And in it, they explain what myriads of other articles ranging from the 1970s to present day have explained, which is that a cause and effect relationship between occlusal trauma and perio diseases has yet to be established. 
Ethical considerations combine, confine research to retrospective and empirical trials rather than prospective and longitudinal studies necessary for determining occlusion and periodontal correlation. Present theories suggest that by injuring gingival and periodontal fibers and enhancing tissue permeability, occlusal trauma serves as an aggravating factor or modifier of periodontal disease. So these um, authors essentially provided a review of the literature compiled, compiled from retrospective research conducted within the years of 2000 to 2021. But as I've done, you know, my own individual kind of review of literature and of prior retrospective studies and research um, on these topics, it, it really has been consistently consistent in the last 50 years or so, or maybe even longer. So later, I'll read a portion of this article to you, um, which will help us to see that occlusal disease and periodontitis are correlated, and that occlusal forces can impact the extent of periodontitis progression via, issue, via the influence that it has on tissue permeability. So mistake number one in the example that I just gave about you know, the provider saying that there's no radiographic calculus and seeing all the evidence of attachment loss and also seeing that there's occlusal disease present. Mistake, you know, number one is being confused about radiographic calculus being a necessary prerequisite for treating periodontitis. So that is totally a constructed, not founded in science or evidence-based decision-making line of thinking that needs to just retire at this point in time. We all know better, so let's do better. And as we know, calculus is, is more like a local irritant. It's a contributing factor to period disease activity, but the active part of the infection is the plaque biofilms. That's the part that needs to go when we're, when we're treating um, period disease. They both need to go, but this is the part that keeps disease active, right? Yes. So, treating, so treating period does involve removing calculus from the root surfaces, but the most important part is disrupting that active part of the infection, which is plaque biofilm. So Meaning regardless of whether or not we see radiographic calculus, we have to consider all the pieces of the puzzle, all the evidence of disease present and treat patients according to that. So this means, yes, scaling sometimes in the presence and or absence of radiographic calculus and remembering that radiographs are very limited in what they show us and that a lack of calculus on the x-rays doesn't necessarily mean there is a lack of calculus in general, and it definitely doesn't mean that there's a lack of perio disease present. Use your brains, people. Um, occlusal disease, you know, another thing to keep in mind that a lot of people overlook is occlusal disease doesn't cause bleeding. So it can, it can exacerbate attachment loss because it causes gingival and periodontal structures to be more permeable, softer. So that means without that natural insulation and protection against the bacteria that are there. So it lowers the host's ability to resist destruction of the period structures, but the bacteria are essentially opportunistic in this case, right? So they're just taking advantage of the body's weakened defenses secondary to occlusal trauma. It's still the bacteria and inflammation causing attachment loss and, you know, highlight this infection. Yeah, because, I'm going to hop, I want to hop in a second and say, you know, honestly, I would say within the last five years of my practice, this has become... I feel like there's been more of a spotlight on this for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't really put this together in the first, you know, many years of practice. I, you know, this wasn't something that we really highlighted in school and talked a whole lot about. Again, I went to school a very long time ago, but it's, you know, it's occurred to me as I've kind of just like paid attention to all the things I'm like, wow, this is definitely a combined issue. Mm -hmm. And I just had a new patient in my chair uh, Thursday of this week. And she came in and she was really concerned. Her, her main, her chief complaint was her gum health. Um, she had noticed a lot of redness, a lot of bleeding, um, 
but she also had a lot of recession and that was her big concern. She's like, I really feel like just within the last six months, my recession has really increased and that concerns me. And, um, you know, medical history wise, she's currently in the middle of menopause. So we know hormonally that kind of wreaks havoc on the gums as well. Mm -hmm. So she was very well, very well aware of being a Bruxer. Um, she was treating kind of self-treating that with over-the-counter guards, um, and had been wearing those for a couple of years. And, um, because of the redness and the irritatedness of the tissue, and because it really sat right around the recession in, you know, specifically those recession areas, she was really hesitant to brush well there Mm -hmm. because, you know, she was worried about the recession aspect. So she wasn't cleaning the area well. So those bacteria were, you know, completely, you know, there was just a very thick, you know, matrix of biofilm all around that tissue and underneath it. So that tissue was super angry again with the influence of all those hormones. So she had, you know, kind of a lot going on. So, you know, we did all of our assessments and I sat her up and we pulled up, you know, the x-rays and the bite wings. And I was showing her, I said, you know, you really have kind of a, a two-sided monster here. Um, one is what we call occlusal disease. You know, you're aware of being a clincher grinder. Um, she was a uh, group function, both right and left with no cuspid guidance. Um, so, you know, she was just kind of constantly banging these teeth and obviously leading to the recession issues. Um, so I explained to her, you know, that, that bruxism contributes to obviously bone loss, um, you know, softening of that periodontal ligament, ligament, softening of the tissues on top of the hormones, softening the tissues. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, the bacteria have taken over her home care. Hasn't been as great. Mm -hmm. She now has some of these deeper pockets because of the clenching and grinding and the attachment loss that those bacteria have moved into and started an infection. So she's like exactly who we're talking about today in, in where you have both things going on. So for her specifically, obviously we address both, right? So mm-hmm. we did talk to her about making her, so she's not open to ortho at this point. Cause that was, that was definitely a conversation of like, you know, what could we do to get her bite in a more functional place? And she had ortho growing up and just isn't open to that concept right now. So we said, well, let's do this. Let's get you in a really great custom fit guard. So we know it's doing its job. Mm-hmm. Let's in, let's invoke, um, perio protect trays because that's going to obviously help with the bacterial aspect and especially going through menopause. Um, let's see how the gums resolve with the perio trays. And then we may talk a little bit of grafting with the periodontist and then just kind of see once everything gets healthy from a gum standpoint, where we need to go from here. I love it. I love it. And in that case, you know, the patient obviously still has autonomy. She gets to choose whether or not she wants to do ortho, but she was given all of her options and completely educated on everything that's going on. So you put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So just, just a question. Obviously there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious. Does that person have radiographic calculus? She does not. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Great example. Hey, Bulletproof hygienists. It's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success. It's all there. 
Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. So before we dive into the article that we're going to actually read from, I'm going to read from it and I'll give you the source and we'll, we'll add the link to this podcast so that everyone can go directly to the source if you want to read it for yourself, you want more information. But before we dive into the article, I just want to remind someone, uh, or I'm sorry, I want to remind everyone of some really basic population statistics. Um, and it's about the fact that both periodontitis and occlusal disease can contribute to permanent changes in clinical attachment level, gingival margin, probing depths, overall health of the periodontium. So according to Moles and Ferry, uh, 65% of all adults and 82% of female adolescents and 78% of male adolescents have some degree of malocclusion. So all of that averaged out equals an average of 74.5% of all teens and adults in the U.S. have some form of malocclusion. According to the CDC in 2012, 40, 47.2% of adults over age 30 in the U.S. have some degree of periodontitis. 70% of adults 65 and older have some degree of periodontitis. So this is an average for all adults in the U.S., this equals 58.7% of all adults in the United States have some degree of periodontitis. So given those two statistics, just those two basic facts, what do you think the likelihood is that people with these conditions may overlap or that they may have both conditions instead of just one? I would argue that it's highly likely and highly common and that we see it every day. So I'm about to read a large chunk of this article because I think it's a great review of existing literature on this topic, and these authors have compiled some extremely valuable information. Um, at the end, they'll make some great suggestions about how to assess for occlusal disease that I'll share just briefly. Uh, but the article is called Occlusal Trauma and Periodontal Diseases, and like I said, it's published in Dimensions of Dental Hygiene. It's by Marsh, Forrester, and Fody, and it was published in August of 2021, and it's a compilation or review of literature ranging from the year 2000 to 2021, so this is all the most current uh, literature. So according to the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly half of adults older than 30 have some form of periodontal disease. Diagnosis, treatment, and management of periodontal diseases are especially beneficial during the early stages when maintaining a healthy periodontium is achievable. Identifying occlusal trauma in the earlier stages of periodontitis is key in helping reduce the potential effects of inflammatory responses and excessive occlusal forces on the supporting bone around teeth. Oral health professionals, however, often overlook occlusal discrepancies that can lead to trauma as a part of their overall perio assessment. It should become standard practice for clinicians to document and consider the implications of occlusal trauma as part of the comprehensive perio examination and incorporate routine occlusal evaluations. So periopathogens are, are etiological causes for periodontal inflammatory responses. The potential risk for increased bone loss and pocket depth occurs when active periodontal infection and traumatic occlusion are present at the same time. Pasanesi and Santana examined whether occlusal discrepancies played a role in the progression of periodontal diseases, and they found that people with periodontitis and occlusal discrepancies who did not undergo occlusal therapy developed a significant and rapid increase in probing depths compared to those with periodontitis and occlusal dis discrepancies who underwent corrective occlusal treatment in, in conjunction with periotherapy. These results suggest that the assessment and documentation of occlusal discrepancies when performing a comp perio exam are helpful. 
So manifestations of occlusal trauma. Occlusal injury exhibits distinct manifestations of stress and pressure within the surrounding periodontium. Lesions that develop from excessive forces differ in location and severity depending on the degree and position of the forces applied. Radiographic signs of a periodontium impacted by traumatic occlusal forces may show a widening of the PDL, thickened lamina dura, root resorption, furcation involvement, cemental tear, and localized vertical bone loss. When the cemento enamel junction between adjacent teeth is not evenly aligned, the bone slants vertically toward the CEJ with the greatest vertical depth. Misaligned teeth can cause a discrepancy between the proximal CEJs leading to vertical bone loss with, with an intact lamina dura. When the bone loss forms vertically and the white lining of lamina dura is no longer visible on a radiograph, it may indicate that a vertical defect has developed from the combination of inflammatory factors and traumatic occlusal forces. When inflammation is the only destructive factor of bone loss, however, it typically presents as horizontal. Clinical manifestations of occlusal trauma may, may present as fractured incisal or occlusal surfaces, wear facets, TMJ, TMJ tenderness, neuromuscular disturbances, tooth migration, sensitivity to pressure or temperature, tooth mobility, or fremitus. Fremitus is an indicator of excessive occlusal forces when teeth prematurely come into occlusal contact. So Wilkins et al. refer to fremitus as the vibratory patterns of the teeth exhibiting as palpable vibration or movement when excessive tooth contact is present. In tooth fremitus, tooth movements can be slight and may occur upon excess occlusal contact. As fremitus occurs due to excessive tooth contact, a determination is measured using the maxillary teeth only. So occlusal therapies. Occlusal therapy may slow disease progression and improve the prognosis of periodontal diseases. Dental hygienists have the most consistent contact with patients and play a vital role in educating them on the various occlusal therapies for managing poor occlusal function and occlusal trauma. So that's the end of the, the, um, the excerpt that I wanted to read, but I do want to refer you to read it for yourself because there's a lot of really valuable information in this article. I just don't want to read the entire thing, um, but there's a lot about the tissue and the PDL permeability and how that, how occlusal disease and occlusal interferences and parafunctional habits um, contribute to that and how bacteria and disease process kind of take advantage of that weakened supporting system, the weakened periodontium and cause attachment loss, you know, but it's really both things have to be identified and treated in order to stabilize our patients, you know? So for example, when we do LANAP, when we do laser assisted new attachment protocol, it's a protocol. It's not a procedure. It's a protocol. Um, so that means that if follow-up doesn't happen, the, the initial treatment or therapy is not going to be as successful. So if we just do the laser and just remove that calculus and, and disrupt the bacteria from the root surface um, without any occlusal equilibration, without a night guard um, and without follow-up, that's not likely to be very successful, you know, and I work with uh, a LANAP specialist who we spoke with uh, in one of our podcast episodes, Dr. Tiffany Dudley. So I get to see firsthand and hear a lot about how the follow-up protocols um, influence the health of perio long-term, but the fact is, you know, it's the bacteria that keep the perio disease going, and it's just those things that kind of influence how active or inactive that, how, how well the host can deal with the bacteria that are present, basically. Um, so a night guard is an essential part of follow-up, um, and so is, like I said, occlusal, occlusal equilibration, 
and super gingival maintenance, all necessary parts of the LANAP protocol, right? So we have to remove the calculus, the plaque biofilm and other accretions, then correct, modify and align with when possible a patient's occlusion so that they have the best chances of long-term perio health stability. So really crucial that we assess for both, that we can identify both disease processes adequately, and then that we partner with our dentist to treat both processes, you know? And like I mentioned earlier, like one of the things that I think people are the most confused about is that presence or absence of radiographic calculus in, in determining whether or not patients have active period disease. And it's just much less of an important factor than people often think it is, or, or it's, it carries a lot less weight than people usually think it does when assessing for perio health. Right. And I think, you know, you're just reading this and I'm thinking through it and I'm like, what we really need to wrap our head around is these are two different causes of bone loss and deterioration of foundation, right? Right. So if that's what we're looking at, we've got to consider, you know, I think honestly, it's kind of been the MO for, for many, many years for hygienists to just think more from a perio aspect mm -hmm. um, and kind of leave it to our doctor to kind of look at the occlusion part. Right. Um, but I think we've got to be thinking, you know, as we're going around and we're doing our perio assessment, like, hey, is there more to this story? Like, am I seeing wear facets? And, and I'm going to hop, I'm going to kind of jump back for just a second. So for us at our practice, whenever we have a new patient come in, and then every three years, we update our comprehensive exam. And that looks at everything from their TMJ to, you know, subluxation, checking lymph nodes. Um, it's doing a full oral cancer screening. It's, you know, documenting all of the architecture and the attached tissue. And it's, I mean, it's looking at everything, but it also looks at occlusion. So you're looking for, you know, classifications, um, overbite, overjet, any crossbite, wear facets, uh, firmitus and mobility. Um, and then, you know, what the, when they're, you know, making those excursive movements from side to side, is there mm -hmm. customer protection? Is it group function? Is there anterior guidance? Mm -hmm. It's looking at all of that because yes, obviously we need to do our comp perio exam where we're also looking for, you know, pocketing, inflammation, recession, furcation, you know, all of these things are, are a part of this assessment. So if we've just kind of been stuck in, just looking at the perio part, um, you know, Brittany and I are saying today, hey, kind of op let's open our eyes to the occlusion as well, mm -hmm. because that really factors in. And for me, um, within this last year, I've really embraced this mentality even more so once we started using the iTero. And it was really cool. I had two specific patients that had some firmitus and mobility with some pretty extensive recession. When we did the iTero scan and looked at the occlusal gram, the, you know, it had those bright red areas where they're really mm -hmm. banging right in those areas where they have recession and yeah. mobility. Yeah. So it's a great way to show the patient too, like, Hey, this is a problem. This is what's causing the recession and the deterioration. And then in that process of, you know, because honestly it irritates the tissue too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've said this on previous podcasts, but I explain it to my patients that when you, if you have a fence post planted in the ground, and you come to the top of that post and you push down really hard with a lot of force and you kind of slowly move it around, what happens to the ground around that fence post? It can't manage that force. Mm -hmm. So it starts to dissipate and ebb away and disintegrate. And that's the same thing that happens in to our teeth and our bone when we are 
you know, having that bruxism, having those abnormal excessive forces. So if we're dissolving the bone away and irritating, kind of shaking things around, we're also irritating the gum tissue, which Mm -hmm. promotes that inflammatory response. Like you said, it, it softens that gum tissue and makes it more permeable so that then we have these opportunistic bacteria that are just going to, you know, take absolute, you know, advantage of this opportunity for themselves. Right. So I think we've just, you know, I'm, I'm, my hope is that, you know, for those of those of you that are listening to this podcast that have maybe potentially just kind of kept them in two separate boxes, the challenge is to kind of put the, the pieces together and see what's really going on from a, from a big picture standpoint. Yeah. And I, and I mean, we want to do this with everything, not just a clue yeah. in perio. Of course, we want to put the medical history um, information together with airway issues, with, you know, all kinds of family history, with, you know, all the risk factors. Like this is what we're constantly doing as prevention specialists. You know, we should be uh, assessing the big picture. I just wanted to specifically, you know, look at both of these disease processes and how they are related and how they are independent of each other because they need to be treated that way. They need to be treated collectively and independently, you know, interdependent and independently. Um, So I want to read to just this part, since you're bringing it up and you make good points about evaluation, um, we do see our patients more often than any other healthcare provider, you know, for preventive purposes. You know, we are blessed enough to see our patients to prevent disease processes from being initiated or to correct them as they are as we see the onset or as we assess them and and things do change. So it's really important that we, out of everyone in the dental office and the dental profession, know how to kind of assess for occlusal issues, for occlusal trauma, for occlusal diseases. So I will read this portion of the same um, article about occlusal assessment, because I think it, it provides a little bit of insight if we're not quite sure where to start with this. So Chairside occlusal assessment and occlusal evaluation of the four planes, anteroposterior, vertical, transverse, and perimeter, encompasses a comprehensive exam and identifies the need for referral sooner. It begins with observing the patient's face and dentition from the right and left profile. Positioning of the anteroposterior or sagittal plane determines the angles classification of occlusion, which is used to identify the corresponding contact relationship between maxillary and mandibular first molars. The contact relationship of the maxillary, hold on one second, of the maxillary mesobuccal cusp uh, of the maxillary first permanent molar with the mandibular buccal groove of the mandibular first permanent molar is categorized as class one occlusion and is considered ideal. Class two and class three are noted as malocclusion, posing a greater risk for occlusal trauma. Class two occurs in the mesobuccal cusp of the maxillary first molar is mesial to the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. And class three happens when the mesobuccal cusp of the max first molar is distal to the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. When the permanent first molars are missing, the canine relationship is, of course, used to identify occlusion. Determining the centric relation and maximum intercuspation, formerly known as centric occlusion, is an integral part of the occlusal assessment. Centric relation is the association of the mandible at the most relaxed and retruded anatomical position to the maxilla. In contrast, the condyle condyle disc relation is balanced and lateral movements can occur regardless of vertical space or tooth position. Give me just a second. My screen is reloading. Excuse me here just for a second. I'm going to scroll down. Sorry about that, guys. 
Um, okay, so class three. So determining the centric relation and maximum intercuspation, formally known as centric occlusion, is an integral part of occlusal assessment. Centric relation is the association of the mandible at the most relaxed and retruded anatomical position to the maxilla. In contrast, the condyle disc relation is balanced. The lateral movements can occur regardless of vertical space or tooth position. Tooth location and occlusion do not influence centric relation because it is solely a joint position. Maximum intercuspation refers to the relationship of the maxillary and mandibular teeth in maximum intercuspation. To achieve occlusal harmony, the maximum intercuspation needs to coincide with centric relations so the teeth fully interconnect as the condyles are positioned in the joint space with the disc properly in place. So canine guidance and interference. Assessing a patient's canine guidance during the occlusal evaluation will determine potential parafunctional activity when teeth come into contact. Canine guidance refers to the disocclusion of all other teeth by the canines when the jaw slides, la slides laterally from side to side. In other words, as the jaw slides laterally, the posterior teeth should, should not come into contact. If they do, it is considered an interference. When the posterior teeth come into contact, the muscles of mastication are actively engaged, significantly increasing the occlusal load. Conversely, as the canines come into contact during lateral motions, the muscles of mastication remain relaxed and occlusal forces are minimal. If interference occurs during lateral jaw movements, chances are parafunctional contacts are causing abnormal occlusal wear patterns or facets, and occlusal therapy may be warranted. Wear facets, which present as flat spots on the occlusal surfaces of teeth, are clinical manifestations of parafunctional activity. Apparent wear facets with a glassy surface typically indicate the patient is currently bruxing, while those with a dull surface indicate the patient was a bruxer in the past or bruxes sporadically. Clinicians can educate patients on the development of wear facets and assist them in making informed decisions about corrective treatment. Clinicians can also use emerging technologies such as scanners to assess and measure occlusal clearances, visualize the contact interaction between arches, locate abnormal occlusal stresses, and detect tooth wear or fractures. So basically everything that, that Charissa just said, you know, if, if someone doesn't have cuspid guidance um, or, you know, if, if we can use the Itero, the Itero is a great um, tool for evaluating and assessing. And, and like Teresa said, you know, a lot of times we'll see clinical manifestations before we even look at that occlusal gram and see the objective uh, report of traumatic occlusion, right? So a lot of times we can see um, these wear patterns or fractions or, you know, um, uh, excessive attachment loss in, lo in localized areas and then kind of look at the occlusal gram and see that those are the areas that are taking the, the biggest impact to the biggest beating. So important that we're putting together all pieces of the puzzle, important that we're looking at these disease processes collectively and individually, and important that we look at each patient's case um, individually as well. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I just, I feel like this is when hygiene gets fun. Yeah. Like it's, it's not just your standard, you know, in and out, like you're, you're, we get to look at so many different things. And sometimes I admit that that can feel challenging mm -hmm. because there are so many things to look at and you don't want to completely overwhelm your patient with all of the things you're seeing. But, right. you know, I, I always, I come from the mentality of, I always tell my patients, I work for you. It's your mouth. You get to make all the calls. I'm here to kind of help show you what's going on and give you all the suggestions to guide you to your best choices. Right. Um, so, and, and I think it's important, you know, when we are doing this right and putting all the pieces together that we don't necessarily overwhelm our patients. You know, we're going to, I usually say, I'm going to show you all the things 
That doesn't mean we're going to address them all at the same time, but I want you to know, because I don't want you to be, I don't want you to think we're one of those practices where you come back and it's like, oh, every time there's something else. Like I want to tell you everything at the beginning. So you know that, and then we'll figure out a plan to work our way through the issues. Exactly. And then you're letting the patient know that it's a process and a partnership and not like this band-aid that we want to offer you or this giant treatment plan that we're just going to throw at you and wish you the best of luck. You know, I do, I do something similar for new patients. You know, I think it's very important that we relay all of what we're seeing on that first visit so that the rest is just revisiting what we've already talked about. It's not like, Oh, this new thing, by the way, now you have occlusal disease. It's the second time I'm seeing you last time you had period disease. This time you had had occlusal disease and the next time you'll have sleep apnea. You know, it's like, no, if we look at all of these things, it's important to review all the pieces with the patient. I tell the patient the same thing. I'm going to give you a lot of information today. I'm going to give you a lot of information and options and just understand that there are fires that we have to put out. And then there are long-term issues that we can deal with in, in a less emergent manner that we can deal with over time. And you can sit back and consider and kind of, we can have further discussions about it. I'm just going to let you know what's going on, the order of importance in which we need to treat this and what will happen if you choose to do nothing. So here's what's going on. We review the photos, the perio chart, the FMX, you know, I do my own comprehensive exam. I sit the patient up, have that conversation, chat with them about all the things, tell them, I know this is a lot of information. This is what we need to take care of right now. And these are the things that we can table um, and we'll have discussions about in the future, you know? And then I think that there are some things that we can circle back with. Like if a person has uh, a lot of disease processes going on and they also have deep uh, grooves, I may treatment plan them for sealants on those grooves the first day, but honestly, I probably won't because it's something that's prevented and can wait and can truly be a back burner item. And we can revisit, you know, at a future visit. And that's how I, and that's how I explain it to the patients, you know, whatever's going on, educate them on those things first, second, third order of priority. Then if they come back, once they're in true maintenance, all disease processes are arrested. I I've said to patients before, Hey, you look great today. Everything is very stable. There are no cavities. Your period disease is under control. You know, you got the sleep apnea device or we did this, we treated your malocclusion. Now we're really truly in preventive prevention and maintenance mode. So I want to bring something else to your attention. We didn't talk about this the first time that you came in because there were a lot of fires to put out, but now I want to get into a preventive mindset with you. So this is, these are the things that we're looking at now. We're getting a lot more picky. We're, we're fine tuning what we're looking at and, and evaluating for because you're so healthy, yep. you know? And that's yeah. how I start the sealant conversation with a lot of people, because that is really one of those things that can come like way, way, way after putting yep. out all the fires. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, ideally in a beautiful, perfect world, we would get to practice preventatively mm-hmm. all the time, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. I think Initially, we do practice reactively, right? Because we've got to react to the active infection, discomfort, mm-hmm. pain, yeah. um, you know, that, that's happening. But our goal is, and I like to tell our patients that too, our goal is that we get to the point where we are just treating you preventatively. Everything's maintaining healthy and we're just going to keep you right there. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. So we hope that this was helpful to everyone. If you have any questions about radiographic calculus, periodontitis, occlusal diseases, don't ask us because we don't know what we're, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, feel free to, feel free to reach out on our mighty network. Um, you can download the app and then search Bulletproof Hygiene or, you know, find us on Instagram. It's at Bulletproof Hygiene. We'd love to connect with you. And as always, we love your feedback. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we hope that you have a wonderful week. Bye-bye everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. 
Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.